Before we get into the message, I want to say that if 2016 has been the year when you have begun a new life with Jesus, uh, I want you to know that to us, that is the most exciting thing in the world. Uh, or maybe for you, it's been a gradual experience, but 2016 is the year when you have openly affirmed that you belong to Him, that He is your Savior and your Lord. And if that's the case, I want to say, let me know. Come see me, send me an email, uh, write me a note, maybe talk to one of the staff that you know, or if you're in a group, let your group leader know. It doesn't matter if you are six or 106, we are excited. We want to hear about your new life with Jesus. So, if that's you, will you do that? Uh, today is the final Sunday in our series, 50 Days of Unleashing Hope. Uh, next week, we'll start a two-Sunday bonus series called Sharing Hope. Now, there's an outline insert in your bulletin. I'm going to ask you to, to grab that, pull that out, follow along, and fill it in. There are a lot of blanks there to fill in as we go. And you'll see at the top our theme verse, which is Romans 15, 13. Uh, six Sundays, we have recited this. We're going to do it one more time. Are you ready? Let's say it. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. How many of you are pretty close to having this one memorized? number of you. Very good. Seven weeks ago, we prayed, God, increase my hope. How many of you would say that that is happening, that God is increasing your hope? number of you. I'd like to ask Carrie Bradford to uh, come up and share a little bit today about how God has been increasing her hope. Um, a lot of you know uh, Carrie. She was normally scheduled to be uh, yeah, a small group leader for children's ministry this morning, but you switched with somebody so you could share with us here. I did. Yeah. So anyway, she, uh, Carrie let me know recently um, how God has been kind of encouraging her, giving her hope, but also kind of moving her forward. So what is, what's going on, Carrie? Well, when we started this book, I decided that I was really going to let God speak to me through the book and through people. I have decided that through this series that I want to focus on what I can become and not what I am. So my husband and I have decided to move to Alabama so I can finish my education and become a nurse. And that's where you're from. That is where right? I am from. Yeah. So um, tell us about how that whole story happened. Well, it started out with the chapter about finding your God-given talent. Mm -hmm. And I just started wondering, well, what is my talent? What has God given me to help this world? And through the words of other people, I have decided that my God-given talent is my heart and my compassion for people and how I love to make a difference, make people smile, and just bring people hope. So then I asked the Lord, well, where does that want to lead me? And I woke up one morning and realized you need to be a nurse because wow. where else can you give joy and hope and comfort and compassion to somebody who really needs it? Yeah. So you can kind of see yourself loving to wake up every morning to do that absolutely yeah now 
So this is a big step. A very big step. Um, but I know that, and we're going to miss you. I'm going to miss all of you. How long have you been here? Nine years? Is Nine that right? Nine years. Westwood? Nine yeah. years. Um, when will you move? We are looking at, my last day at my job is December 1st, and I will probably move the day or two after the Christmas pageant, so I can be here for that. Okay, very good. Well, um, hopefully we'll have a, a Sunday where we can send you off and see you off before that, but uh, I know that uh, it, it's meant a lot to me to hear your story, that God has just sort of, oh, say, said, this is... As you look forward to your life, as you're, as you're looking to be encouraged um, at where God is taking you. So I, I expect to hear great things, Absolutely. good things. Absolutely. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Today is all about the final hope factor. This is the seventh uh, one, and it's about learning to play great defense. Uh, Mike Riley has asked me to come and deliver this message to his team before Saturday, too, just so you know. Yeah. All right. And uh, anyway, the Apostle Paul spent most of his last few years un in, under house arrest in Rome, chained to a Roman soldier. And there he composes a letter about the power of Christ. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't bring a Bible, there are a few Bibles in front of you. Uh, and you'll see it on page 1177. Uh, we'll start at the top of the right-hand column with verse 10. Page 1177. If you don't personally own a Bible, we would love to give you one. That pew Bible you've got in your hand, just take it home. It's yours. Uh, we'll stick another one in later. So, verse 10 says... Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in yourself. Be strong in your own power. No. Your strength alone will not win the day. Only God's power is sufficient for our battles. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So I can imagine Paul looking up at this guard... Uh, dressed in full Roman soldier gear. And the next thing he writes, which is in verse 11, is this. Put on the full armor of God. Before you go into battle, put on the armor. Sometimes I talk to people who are going through a crisis of faith, and uh, somebody has raised a question to them that they don't know how to answer, maybe about evolution or violence in the Bible or dinosaurs in the age of the earth or inconsistencies in Scripture, uh, and it sends them into a panic. And I tell them, these are questions that Christians have wrestled with for a long time. Here's how believers have thought through this before. You're not the first one to face it. And most of these questions aren't really that hard. And I tell them, if you have time to investigate, this crisis could turn out to be an opportunity for your faith to mature. Verse 11 says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 
Paul knows that this Roman guard is not his enemy. It's not his enemy. His true enemy is God's enemy. We put on this armor to stand against the devil and his schemes. Now, I don't talk a lot about the devil, Satan. I mean, I don't want to talk about him more than the Bible does, right? But it's important to know that Satan is real and he's not God's equal. He's not the yin to God's yang. Satan is a created being, went astray, leading a rebellion against God, but he is not omnipresent. He's not like God who is everywhere at once. But Satan's influence is felt everywhere, in every culture. These influences twist the truth. They distort our desires. They harden our hearts. And verse 12 pulls back the veil so that we catch a glimpse of the spiritual realm. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That is not against people, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Sounds kind of spooky, right? There's a battle going on in the heavenly or spiritual realm that we cannot see. But these spiritual forces of evil infect our culture and tell us what to think, what to do, what to believe. The devil wants to make you weak, make you a weak, discouraged, unfruitful Christian. So, if you would repeat after me, the devil wants to make me a weak, discouraged, unfruitful Christian. You and I face this battle every day. So in verse 13, Paul repeats himself. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Now, what is the day of evil? Whenever we are hated, or humiliated, whenever we are intimidated or discriminated, whenever we feel pressure to give in or give up or back down from our faith, that could be the day of evil. And unless we put on that armor, we will not stand. So what is the armor? The armor is God's power at work in you. Will you repeat after me? The armor is God's power at work in me. In chapter 3 in Ephesians, it says that God's power is at work in us, able to do immeasurably more than we can even ask or imagine. That unimaginable power is available to you, so use it. Prepare for that battle. Verse 14 begins, and this you also see these on the outline now. It says, stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. A Roman soldier needs a good belt. Why? To hold up his skirt. Yeah. <laughs> to stand firm, we need the belt of truth. 
And this is, this is more than truth versus falsehood. This is, this is about staying true, about being faithful to the truth. You could also translate it the belt of faithfulness. Why do we need the belt of truth and faithfulness? So we can stand up to the lies that would make us weak, discouraged, and unfruitful. And one lie we tell ourselves is this, that I will always be half-hearted about faith, at least compared to other people. The devil's scheme is to get you to believe that, I, you know, I'm never going to be like those good Christians who they know the Bible and they tell people about Jesus and they go on mission trips and they pray every day. I mean, I'm just never going to be like that, so what's the use? But God's power is at work in you. Put on the armor. Tell yourself, I can be faithful to a faithful God. You see, God's faithfulness makes our faithfulness possible. Verse 14 adds, Paul adds the next piece of armor with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Today, um, you know, some first responders, they may wear bulletproof vests. Back then, a soldier wore a breastplate uh, to, uh, to deflect an enemy's sword. And, and our enemy will attack us with this lie. Well, I must blend in to be accepted. The evil one would love nothing more than to get you to believe that you're not strong enough to stand up and stand out. So you resign yourself to be a chameleon Christian. A chameleon Christian. You blend in with the crowd. You talk one way at church and another way on the golf course. You, you act one way at small group and another way at school. That's the enemy's strategy to make us weak, discouraged, unfruitful. But God's power is at work in you. So put on the breastplate of righteousness that says, I am accepted by God and receive righteousness from God. You know, there's something unique about Christianity. God accepts us even with all our sin. God loves us as we are, but he doesn't leave us as we are. God gives, God accepts us and gives us the righteousness of Jesus. Right? God is in the process of changing you. And if you are accepted by God, and if you are receiving the righteousness of God, of Jesus, then you don't have to blend in with the crowd. God's acceptance, I mean, you've already experienced all this acceptance from God, and it gives you the courage to stand up and stand out. In verse 15, you find another piece of the soldier's uh, wardrobe, shoes. It says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Um, Trish and I watch our son's dog once in a while. Joey, that's the name of the dog, not our son. But anyway, uh, Joey. And when Joey sees me put on my shoes, he gets right in my face. Or maybe he goes and stands by the door because he doesn't want to be left behind. He's figured out that putting on my shoes means that I'm ready to go. 
Smart dog, like a lot of dogs, right? Shoes symbolize readiness. And our readiness comes from the gospel. Here, Paul calls it the gospel of peace. He's a Jew. Uh, the guard is a Gentile. Uh, but through Jesus, God brings people together who are very different. Different nationalities, different languages, different beliefs. Jesus, that's why Paul calls it the gospel of peace. Now, Paul, I mean, a lot of people in that situation would just resent that, that guard who comes to his room one after another in four-hour shifts. You know, rotten Romans, I hate them. But he doesn't. Because that's exactly what the evil one would love to see. Satan wants us to believe that I must cling to my resentment. I must cling to my prejudice. I must cling to my bitterness. How many of you have watched or read The Lord of the Rings? Any of those? A number of you? Okay. It's a lot about the corruption that comes from seeking power. The ring represents power. One ring to rule them all, right? Gollum was the first to find the ring, and he calls it my precious. Remember that? Yeah. What he can't see is that the ring has a power over him. And in the end, his obsession with the ring leads to his destruction, and he falls into a river of lava. And when we cling to our resentments, we give them the power to destroy us. That's the enemy's scheme, to make you weak, discouraged, unfruitful. But having our feet fitted and ready with the gospel of peace means letting go of that lie, letting go of that resentment, and believing that love leads me to share God's good news. So here's this person who you have every right to resent, this Roman soldier who makes your life miserable, but instead of resenting him, God helps you love him. You share with him about your life in Jesus. You pray for him to become your brother in Christ. That is the power of God at work in you. Verse 16, going on, tells about another feature of the armor, the shield. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, the word used here in the Greek for shield isn't this kind of the small, round shield like Captain America uses. This is the full-body shield to defend yourself from an onslaught of arrows that have been dipped in pitch and lit on fire. Jesus says you can expect to be insulted, persecuted, and lied about because you follow me. And many places in the country and the world that is happening. And normally when we are attacked, we think of two options. I must either back down or attack back. But you know, either way we're giving power to our persecutors. Either I assume the role of the victim or I turn them into a victim. Jesus didn't do either one. 
He refused to play the victim. Before his crucifixion, he says, no one takes my life. I lay it down. He's not the victim. But neither does he create victims. He said that all he had to do was ask his father, and there'd be 12 legions of angels coming to rescue him. He had the power to vanquish his persecutors, but he does not. He doesn't back down, and he doesn't attack back. The power of God at work in us means that trusting God gives me the courage to stand firm. Trusting God gives me the courage to turn the other cheek. Trusting God gives me the courage to go the second mile. Trusting God gives you the courage to carry your cross. Trusting God gives you courage to stand firm even when you have to pay a price. And Paul says, take up the helmet of salvation. Now, if you're a kid going out on the bike, your mom or dad says, don't forget to wear your helmet. Right? Maybe, maybe you're not wearing the helmet of salvation. Maybe the evil one has tricked you into believing that your salvation will always be in question. You're never going to know where you stand with God until you die. And then it'll be surprise, who knows? One of the contributions of Methodism was a recovery of the belief that God wants us to know we are his children. God wants us to know we have assurance of salvation through faith in Christ. The lie says, I never know where I stand with God. Who knows? The truth says, I am saved by grace and a child of God. When Jesus saves you, you are saved, and God's not going to change his mind. The assurance, this assurance is God's power at work in you. It gives you confidence. It lets you know where you stand. And it's not about how good you've been or haven't been. By grace, we become God's children. So verse 16, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Satan tempted Jesus three times. Remember that, remember that passage? It, G, Satan was giving him three easy buttons to be a Messiah. How did Jesus respond? He quoted scripture. He had the word of God in his heart. And when it was time, whoosh, he drew it out. No one lives on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, Satan would rather have you say, oh, I will always be temptation's helpless victim. I mean, sin is going to win, and there's nothing I can do about it. You know, he doesn't have to get us to fall to temptation every time, just enough to make us feel weak and discouraged and unfruitful. But the power of God is at work in you. God enables you to say, I am armed with God's word and ready to respond. Jesus 
withstood temptation because he was armed and ready with the Word of God. I want to close with my version of a story that I heard originally uh, told by Tony Evans. It's a story about a painting called Checkmate. It depicts a chessboard in play. A man on one side of the chessboard is sweating profusely. His, his fingers are up to his mouth. Terror covers his face. On the other side of the chessboard is Satan, leaning back in his chair, delighting in his victim's helplessness, eager to finish him off. One day, a chess master was in the gallery, and he studied that painting for hours. He got a chessboard and carefully recreated all of the pieces and their places from the painting and put them on the chessboard. Then he looked at it, he studied it, and then he smiled. And he looked up to the frightened man in the painting and said, you're afraid because in your mind you have lost. But I can tell you that there is only one move left on the board, and it is your move. So while it appears to you that you have lost, the truth is you have won. You just don't know it yet. That's playing great defense. And a lot of times we are way ahead and don't even know. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, sometimes we don't recognize that the, the battles that we face, and so open our eyes. Help us to recognize the lies that uh, we are tempted to believe, lies that would make us weak and discouraged and unfruitful. Oh, Lord, help us also to recognize and believe in that power that is at that your power that is at work in each of us. Lord, we don't want to lose just because we don't realize that we've already won, that your power is sufficient. Lord, there may be some here today who they don't know you, Jesus, and they recognize that they're fighting a battle all alone without you as their Lord and Master and Leader. And so, if that's you here today, I just want to give you an opportunity to say, I want to be with Jesus. I want to be on His team. I need the power of God in my life. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand and let me know? Let me pray for you. Thank you. Oh, Lord God, for those who have raised their hands so far and those who are about to right now, 
let them know that you don't have to be good enough. You just have to be just open. Say yes. And so, Lord, together we support them and say yes together. We say, Jesus, make your home inside of me. You know I make a mess of my life, and I don't have, I don't have what it takes on my own. But, Lord, you, you are sufficient. Lord, forgive me of my sins and lead me in the way of life. I trust in you, in your name. Amen.